I searched scores of sports illustrations for the perfect illustration for this morning's sermon. I mean, I, mean, I, I looked at 20, 30, 40, 50, 60s. I, I was looking and reading article and story after story after story. I'm like, I need to find the perfect illustration for this morning. Because I knew for, for weeks and weeks what this morning was going to look like. I, I mean, obviously, we're going to be talking about being united. And so I said, oh, okay, what's going to be the perfect one? So my mind immediately went to football. Okay, football. I'm not athletic. I don't watch any sport except for pro wrestling. It's on ESPN Sports Center now, so it's got to be real, right? And so I'm like, I, I don't know too much. And so, you know, some friends had us over last night. They were grilling out. And so there was a couple of football games on CBS. There was, the, there was the Ole Miss Arkansas game. There was the LSU Bama game. I'm like, maybe there's something in one of those games that will spur me on and encourage me towards a really perfect, united illustration. I, 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 didn't, I didn't see anything. And so, okay, well, 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 maybe I'll look. And so, like, I was looking through, I was looking through Major League Baseball. And I was looking for Olympic stories. And I was looking... For, I was looking for anything I could find. I thought, well, maybe I'll give a tennis illustration because I used to play tennis. And, and I used to play doubles tennis. I, I was great at doubles tennis for, it, like, in my mind. And then I thought, well, we had a tennis illustration a few weeks ago, so, you know, it's too fresh. So I thought, no tennis illustration. And then I, and then I came across one particular football game played in 1994 it, the now former uh, Cowboy Stadium, it was, it was hailed as the best high school football game ever played out of 555 high school football games at the former Cowboy Stadium. It was 1994, it was the Class 5A third round playoff game between John Taylor, John, or John Tyler Johns and... East. Now, if any of you are high school football enthusiasts, then you are probably well familiar with this game. I had no clue what it was, so I had to read a lot about it and watch some videos. In fact, the color commentators for that particular game won an ESPY for their work on that game. It was amazing. So here's what happens. John Tyler John, Plano East, they're playing. Thousands and thousands and thousands are in this stadium just cheering on and going crazy as Texans do. I lived there for a little while. I know how they do. And... And all of a sudden, fourth quarter starts. The score is 41 to 17. John Tyler Johns over Plano East. And you're thinking, this, this is a blowout. And the crowd at this point was still going a little bit wild because they were just watching one team decimate the other team. And John Tyler Johns had the, the ball one last time, made a drive, and their offense would never touch the ball again the rest of the game. But then something remarkable happened. It was almost as if Plano East all of a sudden united. And they got on the same page together. And they had the same mission together. And they were moving towards the same mission. Now, you know what we're going to do? We're going to onside kick it. Because that always works, right? And it did. And they said, hey, that worked out pretty well. And we scored. Let's try that again. And guess what? It worked again. Hey, do you think we could go for a three-peat? Sure, and so they tried it again, and guess what? It worked again. All of a sudden, after scoring, after scoring, after scoring drive, Plano East was now up 44 to 41 with like a minute and a half left in the game. All because they united together on one particular front. And I told you, John Tyler Johns never, their offensive team never touched the ball again. 
But it seemed like something strange happened in those last final few moments where the kicker was like, okay, this has been working. We've got it down. This is what we're going to do. John Tyler Johns uh, was, was lined up in a, an onside kick formation like to, to receive it that particular way, which means they were all on one side of the field, kind of close up. And the coach from Plano East made some signals and told the kicker, hey, no, I want you to like, kick it far. I want you to kick it deep. I want you to kick it over their heads. It's going to surprise them. With the final moments of the game, we're going to win. It's going to be great. All right, coach, you're the coach, right? You've always had to do what your coach says. And so he does that. And the kick sails right over. Uh, they have no clue what in the world's going on. And so the, punt, uh, the kick returner runs to the back, grabs the ball on the three, and runs it all the way to the end zone. And John Tyler Johns, it, it was going to be the greatest comeback in history until they did not unite at the end. Everything unraveled. And John Tyler John wins it after all. And it's the most talked about game. No one remembers the championship game that year. They remember that specific game. I thought that would be the perfect illustration for this morning. And then I thought, well, you know, I don't know. They probably don't need another football illustration. So I said, well, James, you know, why don't you go for what you know best, which is pro wrestling? It was 1980-something, and all of a sudden... Is a little kid, like in my mind, there were these bad guys that were beating up this man named Macho Man Randy Savage. And if any of you followed pro wrestling, you've heard of the Macho Man Randy Savage. He was the guy that used to advertise for Slim Jims, and he wore the crazy bandanas and the crazy cowboy hat that was always colored, and sunglasses, even if it was inside or dark, he would wear them. And it was, he was getting beat up, and his, his real-life wife but on-screen girlfriend ran to the back to find him some help. And then all of a sudden... She comes back and through the curtains, the music hits and it's the immortal, well not so immortal, Hulk Hogan because he's in a lot of legal trouble now, but that's not the point. Hulk Hogan comes through the curtains and he helps Macho Man and in my eyes as a kid, all of a sudden I see my two superpowers, or in fact they even came together that night and they called themselves the mega powers. They come together and they're destroying evil everywhere. Oh, so they united to destroy evil everywhere and it worked. They beat up the honky-tonk man. They, they beat up the million-dollar man, Ted DiBiase, which is a great man of God now. They, they destroyed all of these different wrestles, all the bad guys, for about a year and a half. And then they, too, broke apart. They were no longer unified. And even in real life, now that was wrestling and it's scripted, but even in real life, their friendships broke apart, and they were never the same again. And I thought all of these would be great illustrations, football or baseball or tennis or wrestling. I thought all these would be great illustrations for this morning. We're talking about being united. And I thought this would be perfect until I realized this. I don't need any of these illustrations for you to get the point. Because the best illustrations about being united are in your lives already. Like, you know what it means to be united, and you know what it means to not be united. You know what it means to have unity, and you know what it means to not, be uni- not have unity. You're, some of you are in here this morning, and in your relationships right now, maybe at work, you are not united. And things are supposed to be easy at this time of year. You're gearing, gearing up for a busy you know, retail season, or maybe some of your projects are starting to shut down a little bit, and you're going to coast through December, and you're thinking, oh, everything's going to be great, but like for whatever reason, at the workplace, you have different pockets of people wanting to do different things, and you're not united on, on all the same front. 
Maybe it's in your friendships and all of a sudden like you can't trust a particular friend or, or they've had this agenda or they want to do this or they don't think you're doing this right or you think we should be doing this in our friendship and, and things aren't right in your friendships right now. You're not united. For the marriage out there this morning, who isn't united? And you and your spouse are arguing about, oh, this, you know, this is, we should parent this way. Well, no, 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 I think we should parent this way. Well, no, you know, you're not meeting my needs in this direction. I think you should, you should meet my needs here. Well, no, 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 you should meet my needs. Or, or, well, I don't like what we're doing with our money. We should do this with our money. No, 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 this is what we should do with our money. Well, I make more money than you do, and so we should do this. Or, or then the wife says, well, I'm the head of the family, so we should do this. And like you're not united on any front. Even in our church, churches all across the world, when they're not united and they're going about their separate directions and they're going about their separate ways, things begin to look really hairy, really fast and disintegrate. Corey and I had talked with uh, Wayne Fillingame, our chairman of the deacons, and a few others, even, even Pastor Owen East before he left. And so we've known for a while that this is a message that our church needed. And so Corey and I started laying out the plan. Lord, what do you want us to talk about? Where do you want us to go? Where do you want us to look? We'll be in Ephesians 4, if you want to flip there this morning. We'll be in Ephesians 4. And so as, as we were looking at these things, Owen's final sermon to us was Ephesians 4. And immediately I messaged Corey. I said, uh, should we even continue on with this? He's like, yeah, dude, I think we can. And I asked my wife. I'm like, babe, do you think we should go on? She said, yeah, I think you can. And I talked to a few others. And I said, hey, you know, is this... And the same thing kept popping up over and over and over is this united message. That this is a message that our church needs. That this is a message that you need in your marriage, that you need in your relationship as it's fracturing, that you need in, in, your, in your parenting, that you need in friendships. Like this is a message that we all need this morning. To be united. And what's great is that Paul writes in Ephesians 4... And we're going to look at, we're going to, for the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at Ephesians 1 through 6 this morning, and then Corey's going to pick up 7 through, through 16, I think, the next week. This morning, we're going to look at what unites us. Like, what is it about us that should unite us? Because if we understand fully what it is that unites us, then it makes it a lot easier moving forward on what we're united for. If you know what unites us, you can do what you're united, what you're united to do. So let's read the first verse for a moment. I therefore, Paul says, the, the prisoner in the Lord urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received. Now, if you're the kind of person that likes to underline, highlight in your Bible, I'm going to pick out a few words in here this morning that we should focus on. The first one is the word urge. I urge you to do something. I urge you. Now, I, I tried to understand this. I'm a word guy. I love etymological things. I love, I'm a wordsmith. So I was looking this up. I looked it up in the Greek. And whenever we say the word urge, or whenever Paul used this particular word urge, he's talking about it's the same word that carries the idea of I compel you. I beg you. I, I, I will comfort you to do this. I want you to do this. This is of utmost importance. I urge you. 
It's the same word in the, in, that the Greeks would use, and Paul u- knew this, that the Greeks would use to, to, to implore to their gods that were fake and didn't even exist. But he would go to these gods, the god of fertility or the god of love or the god of war or the god of whatever, and they would implore and beg and urge, God, do this. And Paul's like, those gods are not real. The things that you put your trust in, those, aren't, those won't sustain you. Those won't, when you get weary, they won't, those won't lift you up on wings like eagles. They won't help you to walk and not faint. No, you need the God of the universe. And so he says, I urge you to do something. I urge you. I mean, we all know that feeling, or or those of you that are parents, you know that feeling, that urge feeling when you're urging or imploring or asking God, you're like, God, please let my kids sleep through the night. Don't let them wake up again until 7 a.m. or 8 or 9 or whatever. Nope, just me. All right, good. I feel human now. But it's a call of desperation because you, you want it so badly. You want this to happen. And Paul's like, I want this to happen so badly. Paul, later in his life, later in his walk with Christ, he's a mature Christian at this point. He's been following after Jesus for a while. And the, the characteristic of Paul, reading through his letters and particularly this one, the characteristic of Paul as he's walked with Jesus for so long, is this. A mark of a mature Christian is his earnestness to walk well. Like, as Paul continued to follow after Jesus and continued to follow after Jesus, like, he had this earnestness to want to walk well. But it wasn't just walking well. In Romans 12, verse 1, he says, he writes to the church, he says, I urge you, I plead with you, I want you so badly to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Like your collective, like I want you to do whatever it is that you do, I want you to offer it as, an, as a sacrifice to God. Like I'm going to put to death my desires, my wants, my needs, my, so that instead I can be on mission for Jesus. And then he says again a little bit later, he says in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 1, He says, we ask that as you have walked well, to do so even more. Paul assumes that the church at Thessalonica, that they were walking well already. It's like, I've heard that you've been walking like Jesus. I want you to continue to do so even more. It's largely important. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 12, he says, dearly loved. You know, this is a verse that would be worth looking at again tonight to sleep. This verse here, Philippians chapter 4, verse 12, is, is, is a verse that would be good to look at again tomorrow morning. This is probably a verse that would be good for you to memorize, for us to memorize. And I'm going to unpack it just for a moment. Check this out. He says, dearly loved, like that's you, and that's me. Dearly loved, stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. He uses an address twice, dearly loved and dear friends, people that, are, that we're close to. I urge you, I implore you, I beg you to agree in the Lord. Or another way of putting it is be united. And so I want to ask you this. If you are not right with another person in the Lord, again, he says, stand firm in the Lord. I urge you to agree in the Lord, Right? And he calls us dear friends and dearly loved. If you are not right with another person in the Lord, my question is, are you standing firm in the Lord? 
Like if you're not right with someone who has the spirit of God in them, and you have the spirit of God in you, if you are not right with that person, can you really be standing firm in the Lord? I would venture to say no, you can't. So this morning, I want, this is the first little thing, and it's really not in the notes. If you have a problem with someone who has the spirit of God living inside of them, well, no, they don't. Well, just quit judging them. If you're not right with someone this morning before you leave, you need to get that right. Shoot a text message, send a phone call, set up a time to meet together, but you need to get that right in the Lord because there's no way that you'll be able to stand firm in the Lord and stand firm together. And then in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, he says, I urge petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanks be made for everyone. So a mark of a mature Christian is his earnestness to walk well together. That it's not just that you want to walk well, I've done a great Bible study, I've learned more about Jesus, but that you are walking well together with other believers. And that takes other believers to happen. That means you have to have other people in your life. Well, James, you know, I, I've, 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 I'm just kind of shut off, I'm guarded, I'm protected, I don't want to invite other people into my life, I don't want to be transparent with other people. That's hogwash. And you need to allow the Spirit of God to work in your life so that you can stand well together with those people. Well, James, like someone's burned me in the past. I don't care because scripture clearly says you need to walk well together with people. And so if there's a problem that you've got with another believer, you need to get that straight because you're not standing firm in the Lord. You are not united. And so we, could, we continue on. He, he uses a word here in verse one. If you're underlining words here. I therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received. Now, for those of you that have taken English in third grade or fourth grade or whatever grade it was, and maybe even took it in college, and maybe, maybe like you just, those words, that word you bugs me. Because in the English, it can be, it can be like you could be singular or you could be plural, right? In the English. And so when we're reading scripture in the English, and we're like, well, what does you mean in, in this verse? You have to look it up. And so I did. In the first you, I urge you to walk worthy of the calling. That's a plural word. Paul's saying, I urge all of you, all of us as a people to walk well, to walk well together. What about the second one? The calling you have received. Is it the calling that I've received? Is it the calling that you've received? Is it the calling that you've received? Paul's like, no, no, no. The calling that we collectively, plural, that we've received to walk well together. And so if you can just lean in for one moment, like here's one idea. If I could just sum it up in one idea, it's this. Greater are we that are one than we that are many. Greater are we that are one, of one mind that are united, that have the same goals and ideals and we're moving with the Spirit of God in one direction than we that are like, well, I think God wants us to do this. Well, I think God wants us to do this. Well, like, we need to do this and go in this direction. Well, here's my wish list and I think we should do this. No, 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 no. Greater are we that are one than we that are many. In your relationship with your spouse, if you have a broken relationship right now with your spouse, if your marriage is crumbling, you know exactly, all too real, what it's like for one person to say, oh, we should go this direction. The other person to say, no, we need to go this direction. 
in your friendships. You know, well, I think, you know, we should move this way with our friendship and what we're doing and our ideals. No, 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 I think we should go over here. Well, I really think we should be an old, old Miss fan. No, 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 I think we should be a Mississippi State fan. And then, like, you don't talk anymore, and it gets awkward. I can say that because I'm not either fan. I'm both fans. That doesn't make sense. Anyway, you as a group, as a unified group, you are stronger You're stronger as a unified group than you are separately. In Exodus chapter 1, whenever I think of unity, and whenever I think of greater are we that are one than we that are many, I think back to Exodus. I'm going to take a little side note here for a moment. I don't know if you're reading scripture every day. I pray that you are. I hope so earnestly that you are reading scripture every day because Jesus speaks to us through his word, and if you're not reading the word, there's no way that he's going to be helping you to grow. You have to read it. And so every morning, my wife kind of started this. She's been doing this thing called First Five. It's a little app. If you have a smartphone, you can read First Five on an app, or if you have a tablet. And uh, so I was watching how the Lord was working in her life with it. I said, well, I could get behind that. So I did, and then I encouraged our students to get behind it. It's written by Proverbs 31 Ministries by Lisa Turkhurst and, and, and her group. And oh man, it's so good. I say that as a preface. By the way, it wakes me up every, every morning like my alarm is set, like it is now my alarm. I don't set my alarm, I set this alarm for first five and immediately it wakes me up and that's the first app that I'm allowed to open. It's, it's beautiful. So anyway, at 5.55 in the morning I read it and we've been reading through, we just finished the end of Joseph's life. We just finished in the end of Genesis. And so I get here in Exodus chapter 1, and it reminds me. So look in verse 8. It says, A new king who had not known Joseph came to power in Egypt. He said to his people, Look, the Israelite people are more numerous and more powerful than we are. Let us deal shrewdly with them. Otherwise, they will multiply further. And if war breaks out, they may join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. And so that's when all of Egypt began to not like the Jewish people and began to not tolerate God's chosen ones. And that's when they were like, hey, we don't want to be with God's folks. We want to subject them. It it reminds me of the story. Have any of y'all seen the Disney picture of Bug's Life? Like back, back years and years and years ago, back in the late 90s, Disney's uh, A Bug's Life came out. And so like you had this whole colony of ants. And this whole colony of ants are, like, I mean, they're, they're doing everything. I hate ants, by the way, but in this movie, they're kind of cute. And so they, they eventually, like they are oppressed by a grasshopper named Hopper. I don't know where they came up with the name. And Hopper says this at one point. He says, you let one ant stand up to us, then they might all stand up. Those puny little ants outnumber us, a hundred to one, and if they ever figure that out, there goes our way of life. And like, so that's like the, the story of the movie, like when the ants finally come together and become united, they can topple over just a few grasshoppers that are bigger and intimidating. In the same way, in the same way in, in, in our lives, like there might be a hundred different obstacles or barriers in your marriage or in your relationship, in your friendships, in your work, in the church, in your small group. But like when we come together, united as one, we can overcome any of these obstacles. Why? Because the Spirit of God is in us and moving us toward the mission of Jesus. Greater are we that are one than we that are many. In fact, unity in Christ, when we're united in Christ, unity in Christ leads us to one another, one another. Did you know 
there's like a hundred verses in the New Testament to like, that tells us to one another, one another. Like meaning like I should do this for you. I, I, like I, I should do this for one another. I should do this for you. You should do this for me and et cetera, et cetera. 47 of those verses are about, are about unity and love. And 13 of those specifically uh, are about unity. 13 out of those verses addresses followers of Jesus about unity because the New Testament writers, the folks that followed after Jesus, they understood, and even Jesus, you know, there's, there's a few quotes in here from Jesus, they understand so powerfully the concept of being united in following Jesus, being united in relationships, being united at work. Here's a few of them. In Mark chapter 9, verse 50, they say, be at peace another you have a problem we'll be at peace with one another john chapter 6 verse 43 jesus says like stop complaining among yourselves like when you're complaining among yourselves like all these distractions are coming in and you're not being unified to do any kind of good you're just letting just a loud noise quit complaining about that guy that you don't like at work that person at church that smells funny i'm just it's probably me my breath smells like quit complaining about these people quit complaining about these problems that you've got Oh, it's not happening my way. It's the wrong kind of toilet paper. Like they're using their money this way. Like their ideals aren't my ideals. They want to parent this way. Who cares? Like you need to be united on mission for Jesus. Don't let that garbage cloud your mission. In Romans 15 verse 7, Paul, at the end of his book here to the church at Rome, says this. He says, accept one another as Christ has accepted you. Okay, so I accept the person next to me. No, 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 no. It's not just that easy. Christ accepted you. He accepted me. Like, we are filthy. We are full of sinful desires, our own motivations. We were dead at one point. Like, there's nothing good about us. Like, when God saw us, like, without Jesus, when God sees us, he sees garbage and he can't even look at us and yet Jesus came and he died for your sins and when we trust in him he then clothes us with his righteousness or his right ways of life and his good deeds and his sacrifice to the father on our behalf so that when God sees us now that we follow Jesus he, he sees Jesus and he sees he sees good and he can look at you and he can look at me. And so when Paul says, like he means, like he's, when he says, accept one another as Christ accepted you, just in the same way that Jesus accepted you and he accepted me and all of our misgivings and warts, like Paul says, accept the other people like that as well. Here's my favorite one in Galatians chapter 5, verse 15. It says, you can look this one up later, it's really good. Paul writes, he says, if you bite and devour one another, you will be consumed by one another. In other words, don't eat people. It's bad. It doesn't taste good. Anyway, greater are we that are one than we that are many. When you're biting someone's head off, when you're complaining against your spouse, when you're, when you're not on the same page with your team or whatever, like you're not moving forward the mission of God, you're, you're posing God. Another way of putting it is if you have problems with the body of Christ, if you have a problem with a person who's bearing the spirit of God 
within them. If you're upset or at odds with your spouse or with a person in your small group or a person at church or your parent or what, if you have a problem with a child that, of God who has the spirit of Jesus living in him, then you ultimately have a problem with God. And far be it from you or from me to go toe-to-toe with the creator of the universe because guess what? You're gonna lose every time. So do not be at odds with one another when the Spirit of God is living in you. Because you'll lose. You need to settle those problems now. Verse 2. I therefore urge you to walk worthy of the calling you've received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, accepting one another in love. There again, Paul's like, hey, you've got to accept one another in love. I took some notes when Pastor Owen was preaching a few weeks ago, his final sermon, so I've included them in your handout this morning. You see it on your back page. Humility rescues ourselves from taking ourselves too seriously. Gentleness is when you waive your personal rights for the good of others with no concern for your reputation or personal gain, and patience adds realism to life. And I, I just let those sink into my life for a few weeks. And I've just been marinating on those and thinking on those and praying through those. God, what does that look like? What does that mean? Accept one another. Like, don't, don't just like, tolerate. Well, I'm going to tolerate this person because they work here or, or, or they're a member of my small group or they're a member of this church or they're a member of my family or it's my spouse. And, you know, God says I need to. Like, don't just tolerate them. Don't just put up with them. Like, accept them warts and all. Accept them with love. Paul says, a few, a, few, a few things here. How are we united? Like what unites us? There's seven things, and I just put up the number four because I don't have seven fingers right now, but what unites us? And we find those in verses four through six. Seven things. There is, number one, one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all who is in all and through all. Let's look at those very briefly. One body. Now, Corey next week is going to talk about one body. He's going to talk about what are we united for. This is what we're united by. But what are we united for? What is our purpose to work together for? What is the mission? How does this all play out? And so Corey's going to look at that next week in the next set of verses. One spirit, it's this very same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living in you and he's living in me, the same spirit. In fact, a couple chapters earlier, Paul writes in Ephesians 2, that we are being built together as God's dwelling place. Like we as a body of believers, you and your marriage, like we are being built together. Isn't that beautiful? That unites us. We have one hope. Peter tells us that we have a living hope of a future with God. That when we place our trust in Jesus, that we get a future, a living hope to be with God forever. One Lord, Jesus, he is our master. Colossians 1.18 about the preeminence of Jesus says that he is, he, is, he is the head of the body. He is the head of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn over all creation. So that he might have first place or, or preeminence over all things and all people. And that unites us because we have one Lord. Well, not, not money, not agendas, not government, not education. Like one Lord and his name is Jesus. One Lord and you're not it. And I'm not it. One faith, one 
belief, one trust in Jesus, that you trust Jesus, that I trust Jesus, and that they trust Jesus, like this unites us that we trust Jesus. One baptism that we have, one identity to the world that we are showing the world when we get baptized in those waters that we identify with Jesus and that we follow him. And if, if this is a great little plug right now. If you have not identified that you are a follower of Jesus, if, if you have not followed through in believer's baptism, that might be something that the Lord is saying, hey, it's time for you to unite with the body of believers and to say to Christians everywhere and to say to the world, I identify with Jesus. And so I encourage you to say, James, I need to get baptized. I need to show my identity with Jesus to the world. And then he says in verse six, one God. (laughs) One God, you see in your notes. The one body of believers, this is from Harold Owner. The one body of believers is vitalized by one spirit. All, so all believers have one hope. That body is united to its one Lord, Christ, by each member's one act of faith. And its identity with him is depicted by one baptism. One God, the Father, is supreme over all, operative through all, and resides in all, and all seven components are united in the Trinity. He is the Father of all. He is above all. He is through all. He is in all. The point is, as we close, the point is this, that we are, not, we are not united for ourselves, but for God. May we not forget that life is not about us, that it's about God. It's about his glory. It's about his name. It's about his fame. It's not about my agenda. It's not about your agenda. It's not about your money. It's not about your accolades. It's not about your awards. It's not about your warts. It's not about your addictions. It's not, it's not about your family. It's not about any of these things. It is about God's name and his fame throughout this whole world. We are united for him. And when we're not united for him, we're not united at all. Greater are we that are one than we that are many. As we close this morning, I want to ask you a couple different things. And the first one we talked about earlier, but are, are, do you have a problem with somebody right now? Because if you do, you need to settle that today. You need to be united with that person today. It could be your spouse. It could be a coworker. It could be someone in your small group. It could be someone in the church. It could be a parent. If you have a problem, you need to settle that today. And the second thing is this, like, are, are you united? What do you need to do to be united and to be on mission for Jesus?